But a great time to be in the house of God. And uh, I want us to uh, warmly welcome Pastor Sarah as she comes to bring the word. Thank you. Good morning. Can I have the house lights on, please, so I can see all your beautiful faces? At the moment, it's kind of just like this dark haze. (laughs) I can see a couple, but I love to actually see you when I'm speaking to you. So that's better. Sorry, it may have woken a couple of you up, (laughs) but now I can see you. How is everyone? Good. Good. It's good to see the sun, isn't it? So nice. I saw a, a meme on Facebook this week that said, whoever, <laughs> whoever prayed for the rain, please pray for my bank account. <laughs> it's true. We got an abundance of rain, didn't we? It was like we prayed for it and God sent it and then it flooded. <laughs> I couldn't even pick up Zara actually from school on Thursday. I had to go early. Um, one of the entrance and almost the second entrance at the back was flooded. She goes to school at Pimpama. And so kind of north Gold Coast got the worst downpour. Um, so that was a little bit scary. <laughs> I think there were a lot of parents panicking. Um, but we got her and she got a day off on Friday, so she wasn't worried at all about it. Um, but it's been a good week. How's your week been? Challenging, but good. Yeah, sometimes we can have challenging but good weeks. Um, this week, Brad and I went to met down to Melbourne for a business um, event we were running. And it reminded me of what life was like without children. <laughs> I mean, I miss them like crazy, my beautiful girls. But it's like, oh my gosh, we can actually sit down and have a meal together without being interrupted every five seconds. And, you know, just walking out the door with nothing. Like no nappy bag, no prayer. It was so freeing. So we've had a great week, but then back into the swing of things um, later this week. But I want to talk to you this morning about something quite practical, very biblical, but quite practical, and it's the value of friendship. And this is something that God has really taught me, um, especially probably over the last six or seven years, the value of friendship. Because I think when we're young, it's pretty easy to make friends. You know, you go to school with kids every day and, you know, you you get in the little cliques and, you know, you see your friends every day and you don't have many other responsibilities. And so it's it's easy to have friends and to make friendships for most people. Um, But I think as we start to get older and we have more responsibilities and we take more on, there's not as much time we feel for friendship. And so what God has really taught me over the last... Um, seven years is that it actually is a biblical value friendship and we're commanded you know there's 58 commands in the bible that says one another there's 58 one another commands you can't do that on your own you can't you can't actually um, fulfill the commands of, of the bible of those one another commands on your own separately individual you have to have others around us and you know I'm an advocate of this I say it all the time we were made for connection we were made for community we weren't made to be isolated or separated from others but God made us to be part of a community for connection and so who's watched the the sitcom friends growing up (laughs) I loved it I'll be there for you (laughs) Um, it used to be one of our favorites me and my sister Cindy would sit down and watch it and um, you know, who had grand dreams of, of growing up and having a group of friends and living in the city and drinking coffee in coffee shops and sharing every detail of your lives? Just me? <laughs> yeah. 
But, you know, life doesn't always turn out like the sitcoms, right? You know, I've had some really truly close friends over, over the years. You know, I've had um, a best friend of mine from grade one um, who we did life together up until she left and she moved away when I was in high school. I had another really close friend in my 20s um, and unfortunately just through miscommunication and um, then kind of drifting apart. And there have been other friendships, but, you know, once you kind of get married and you think, well, I mean, who even has time for those kind of friendships? Or, you know, when you're overworked and overwhelmed and the motivation to have dinner with a friend versus sitting down and watching Netflix and ordering a pizza, (laughs) you know, is hard to find, yeah? But I really want to share with you, just over the next 25 minutes, I want to chat to you about the importance of friendship and the benefits of friendship and also the incredible bearing that it has on our personal destiny. That's the part that God's really taught me, that there is a bearing of friendships on your destiny. Who's heard the old um, saying, our future is shaped less, sorry, old saying of show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Sorry, the next one. (laughs) Thank you, Leroy. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Or those you hang around you become. Yeah? There's also a quote by Pastor J.D. Greer that says, Our future is shaped less by our ambition of what we will do for God and more by the company that we choose to keep in the present. It's true. We can have the greatest, grandest ambitions for God, but who are you hanging around? Who are you walking with? Who are you doing life with? Who's speaking into your ear? Who are, you, who are the ones that you download with, that you get advice from? You know, ultimately, we're social creatures and we're shaped by those who are closest to us. Let me just show you some stats on friendship. Can we go to that next slide? So 25% of men aged 30 to 65 said that they have few or no close friends. This is an Australian survey. So 25% of men aged 30 to 35, so they have few or no, 65, sorry, or no close friends in life. 33% said they were unsatisfied with the quality of their friendships. 20% says of Australians rarely or never feel they have someone to talk to or to turn to for help. That's one in five. One in five people said they rarely or never have anyone to talk to. Next one. 25% of Australians feel lonely for... A, at least three days every week. Every week, one in four of us feels lonely every, every week. For three days every week. 85% of young people, who do they go to first for help? To their parents? Who do they go to for advice? <laughs> to their friends. Not to their pastor, not to their teacher, not to their parents, but to their friends. And so as, as parents in this house, this is such crucial teaching for our young people. Who are the people you're walking with in life? Who are you choosing to do life with? Who are you choosing to follow? Because they're not going to us for advice. They're going to their friends. And so what kind of input are they getting? So why do we need friends in our lives? I just want to share with you from uh, Rick Warren. Who knows Rick Warren here? He's a leadership expert and best-selling author. Um, and he has some incredible teaching out, but he has some teaching around why we need friendships in our life. And the five reasons that he says we need friendship is for spiritual growth, number one. He says you cannot become like Christ by yourself. You've got to have friends. And you've got to have friends in your life to accomplish God's purpose in your life. 
Romans 1 verse 12 says, help each other with the faith you have. Help each other with the faith that you have. The faith that you have helps the other person. Their faith helps you. Who's experienced that? Absolutely. The second reason is for emotional support. You know, life is a journey and you need companions in this life. There's two groups of people that Rick Warren says in your life. There's VDPs, very dependent people, and VIPs, very inspirational people. And he said that you need to have less VDPs and more VIPs in your life. Isn't that the truth? Rather, I mean, there's, it's nothing wrong with having some dependent people, you know, that you're able to, to minister to and to pour into. But you have to have more inspiring people, those that are, are pushing you to go further, to grow, to, to push forward in the call of God in your life. Number three, Rick Warren says, for better health, we need to have friendships. And not just in the Bible, but science has confirmed that we'll live longer and that we live healthier if we have healthy friendships. So one of the reasons is because friends actually give us a place to air some of our negative emotions. Isn't that true? (laughs) It's a place where if you don't have that person that you feel safe with, that you feel comfortable with, to be able just to vomit out what you're feeling, you know, of course we go to God first, but sometimes you just, you need to have that person who's your safety net, that you can just say, oh, this is how I'm feeling and getting that out. Because if you live with that locked up inside of you, we know that causes stress, that causes anxiety, pressure, which then increases our likelihood of disease. And so we need friends for better health. For social, oh, I love what Rick Warren says here. He says, revealing your feelings is the beginning of healing. That's good, write that down. Revealing your feelings is the beginning of healing. James uh, chapter 5, verse 16 says, Admit your faults to God. No. Admit your faults to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. We go to God for forgiveness. We go to each other for healing. That's what this verse is saying. Admit your faults to one another and pray so that you would be healed. Number four is for social enjoyment. Who thinks that life should be enjoyed, not endured? (laughs) Absolutely. For social enjoyment, you can make all the money in the world, you can have all the achievements in the world, but if your relationships are broken, your life is broken. That's the truth. I remember um, Pastor, who's the pastor from New York? Joseph Matira. When he came and he spoke here a couple of years ago, um, he said that, one of his children was walk, wasn't walking with the Lord and he would get on his knees and he would pray every day. He fasted for a period of, I don't know how long, it was like almost two months or something. People were telling him to eat. But he's like, no, I'm, I'm fasting for the salvation of my child. And he said, no matter what accolades came, no matter what uh, finances came in, no matter what achievements he made, he said there was always a part of him that was broken because his son wasn't walking with God. And so it's true for us relationships have such a huge bearing on our overall happiness. I love what the Bible says that um, when you've great friends, the joys of life are doubled and the sorrows are halved. Hey, because we get to share it. We get to share the joy, but we also get to share the sorrow for someone else to, to be able to help bear. Number five is to reach your goals. Rick Warren says it takes a team to fulfill a dream. 
Anything great cannot be done by one person. You need to build a supportive team. And the Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 9, two are better than one because they get more done. I like that version. That's the new century version. Two are better than one because they get more done. And so to reach our goals, we need support. We need partnerships. We need friendships in life. The NIV version of that um, scripture also says, two are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. And a three-chord strand, a gathering of three people is not easily broken. I love that. If you fall, there's someone to help you up. You've got that support. You've got that encouragement. You've got, the, you've got your tribe, those people that you walk with, that you know that you know, if you're going through a certain situation, that they're there for you no matter what. So to reach your goals, we need to be connected with others. So let's look at some close friendships in the Bible. Do any come to mind? Before we go to the next... Oh, we've already got them up. <laughs> well, that's two. I've got a couple. Um, but of course, the most iconic is David and Jonathan, Yeah. David and Jonathan. It's such a beautiful um, example of friendship in the Bible where they were like blood brothers. They would do anything for one another. And it says in 1 Samuel 18, as soon as David had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. You know, Jonathan was the king's son. And he sacrificed for David. At one point, he stripped himself of all the items that represented his power and position, and he gave them to David. He also was unwaveringly loyal to David, as was David to Jonathan. But Jonathan would hear, because he was in the palace, he would hear of the plans and the plots to kill David from King Saul. And then he would go and he would say to David, you need to get out of here, or you need to watch out because, you know, my dad's after you. <laughs> and so he was loyal he loved him as his own soul. And the two friends shared a, such a close emotional bond. You know, there was a time where David had to leave and it said that they wept together. They wept together. There was such a strong, um, strong emotional bond. You know, these three elements displayed love, loyalty and emotional openness are the three essential traits that psychologists deem necessary for friendships to thrive. Love, loyalty and emotional openness. We're going to talk a little bit more later about the five keys to healthy friendships, um, but those are, are absolutely part of that. The second is Moses and Aaron. So Moses and Aaron were brothers. And, you know, God spoke to Moses through the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3 and provided three miracles in order for Moses to overcome his, his fear to speak in front of Pharaoh, to be sent to Pharaoh. But still, he begged the Lord. He said, don't send me, God. Send someone else. Again and again and again. And so God said, oh, fine. What about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you, and his heart will be glad when he sees you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth, and I'll help both of you speak. That's in Exodus 4, verses 14 to 16. And so here, we see God gives um, Moses a friend to be able to carry the load. Sometimes God gives us friends that are able to help us to accomplish his will. It's not always easy, is it? A 
especially when you feel isolated or when you feel like you're on your own. You know, have you ever had those, those conversations with God and when you feel the hand of God and you feel the calling, like, God, send someone else. That's not me. I can't do that. <laughs> I can't speak. I can't get up there and speak. Or, you know, I can't lead that team, God. I don't have the leadership ability or the capability. And yet God, time after time after time again, continues to speak it to you, continues to prompt you through the Holy Spirit. And so sometimes we just need that friend about us that will be able to come and say, you know what, I'm in this with you. You can do it. Let me help you. And so that was Aaron to Moses. Without Aaron, Moses didn't have the courage to face Pharaoh on his own. He needed the emotional support to get started. But then we see him come into his own, don't we? Absolutely. But Aaron was always by by his side from the very first day until the very last day. Aaron was right there with him. And so the Lord equips them both and eventually they led their people out of captivity into freedom. You know, it reminds me of a story of my sister and I growing up. She was always the outgoing one. She was always kind of the bold one. She would be out there dancing on the stage and she'd be dragging me along, a bit like Zara and Savannah actually. (laughs) But... um, she was always the one who would have, you know, multitudes of friends around her and I had one. <laughs> and, um, but there was one thing that she was absolutely frightened to death of. She would not do. And that was take anything that she'd bought from a shop back to exchange or to refund it. <laughs> it was just something. It was just, she would just freeze up. And she's like, no, I can't do that. I'm like, well, it doesn't fit you probably. It doesn't look any good. She's like, no, I can't take it back. Sarah, you do it. And so she would sit out the front of the store and then I'd walk in and I'd have to ask for a refund and and do her dirty work for her. (laughs) But reading that story of Moses and Aaron, it's like, yes, I can relate to that. I was the Aaron in those situations. I spoke for her. (laughs) And then another one, if we can move on, is Elijah and Elisha. He knows the story of Elijah and Elisha. So Elijah was the well-known prophet. He was the prophet of Israel. He was the man who called down fire from heaven. He defeated the prophets of Baal. Um, He caused a drought in Israel for three years through prayer. And to help him carry out his work, God sent Elisha. And Elisha was a younger man, and he was eventually Elijah's successor. Um, But in 2 Kings, we read about where Elijah is. So it's, it's come to the end of Elijah's life. And he's about to be taken up to heaven in a chariot. And, you know, wouldn't that be amazing? Like, God, please, I don't want to die in my sleep. Come down with a chariot. Take me to heaven in a chariot. That would be awesome. And so, but he says to Elisha three times, he says, stay behind. God's given me instructions to move on or to move forward. And every time Elisha says, as surely as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. And because of that love, because of that loyalty that he had for Elijah, do you know what? He receives a double portion of anointing. Elijah says at that very last moment, he says, okay, come with me. What is it that I can give to you before I'm taken up? And Elijah says, I want a double portion of your anointing. Bold, yeah? And Elijah says, you've asked a hard thing. It's like, good one, Elisha. 
you've asked a hard thing, but if you see me as I'm taken into heaven, then you receive what you ask for. And he did. And there was such a, if you read through the scripture, there was such a grief within Elisha because it was his mentor. It was his friend that he'd walked with for so long that had taught him, that he'd trained under. And so there was a grief within him. But then all of a sudden he, he goes out and you read the most incredible um, miracles that he's able to um, do and the things that he does for Israel then as the new prophet. And so um, it's actually a great example of a core mentor-mentee relationship, Elijah and Elisha. Bringing himself closer to Elijah, Elisha prepared himself for his destiny. You know what, finding a mentor, finding a friend who will help you through life is so incredibly important. Having someone that you can go to that's not just on your peer level, but someone that you can go to that you feel safe with, that's able to speak into your life, someone who's at a fur- further down in the road than you are, that you're able to walk with, that you're able to go to and say, look, this, I'm really struggling with this right now. Please, can you give me some wisdom or guidance? And in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 22, it says, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Do you want your plans to succeed or to fail? Yeah, me too. And so what does the word say? With many advisors, they succeed. Many good advisors, that is. <laughs> Anyone can spout off whatever opinion they want or advice they want, and they're willing to, but you've got to get the good ones. You've got to get the Elijahs in your life. And so this is what, has anyone heard of Robert Kiyosaki? Rich Dad, Poor Dad? And um, so he, he shared in Rich Dad, Poor Dad that he had two dads. He had his real dad who was stuck in the middle class with limited viewpoints on money. And then he had his rich dad, one of the wealthiest men in Hawaii, and really smart about getting money to work for him. And he said, by consciously choosing to interface with his rich dad, he learnt from him. He acquired many thinkings and mindsets of how to become rich, which eventually led him to become successful in life. And so you don't need to be born with the most incredible, you know, we can't choose our family, right? but we can choose our friends, we can choose our mentors. And so choose someone that you want to role model your life over from. So that's what Robert Kiyosaki did. He's like, I don't want to struggle like my dad struggled, but I want to be able to walk in financial freedom. And so to do that, he interfaced with his stepdad and he was able to receive the mentoring and the guidance to walk that out. And so in life, Sometimes you can think, well, I was, dealt, I was dealt a rough hand, you know, my mum, my dad never really taught me much and, you know, they're struggling and this and that. But hold on, you have a choice. You have a choice. You can choose to be mentored by someone who you want to walk in the, in the footsteps of. And so the last one here is Ruth and Naomi. And this is a, it's a tragic but a beautiful story, Ruth and Naomi. No, Ruth was married to one of Naomi's sons, and years after that son died, uh, Naomi's husband and her other son also died. And so Naomi encourages her daughter-in-laws to go back to their families in Moab, because back in that day, you couldn't survive as a, a widow on your own. And so she said, go back to your families in Moab, leave me, I'll be okay. And so Orpah, who was one of the, the daughters-in-law, she went back to be with her family, But Ruth didn't. And Ruth says in uh, Ruth 1 verse 16 to 17, 
Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Now Ruth refused to let Naomi be completely alone. And when she traveled with Beth, they they both together traveled to Bethlehem, she helped her, Ruth helped her to survive so that she wouldn't be destitute. She went and because you couldn't really have a job back then, but what you could do is you could glean the fields and you could pick up the leftovers and then you could take them back. And so that's what Ruth did. And you know what the incredible thing is? Because of her love and her loyalty for, for Naomi, she ends up marrying the owner of the field that she's gleaning from, Boaz. And then she has a son. And you know who that son is? It's the grandfather of King David. How incredible is that? That because of her faithfulness, because of her loyalty, because of her love for Naomi, she became the great-grandmother of one of the greatest biblical characters, King David. How cool is that? Friendship is important. So what else does the Bible say about friendship? Well, here are a couple of warnings about friendship. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. Walk with the wise and become wise, for a company of fools suffers harm. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And so there's some warnings about who we let into our lives. Walk with the wise. It's pretty simple. It's pretty plain, but we don't always get it all the time. (laughs) Walk with the wise, become wise. Walk with fools, suffer. It's basically what that's saying. And so maybe, just maybe, there's some people that you need to unfriend in your life. (laughs) I hear that, amen. (laughs) And so the Bible's just warning us. It's warning us that It's that same thing, who you hang around you become, who you choose to do life with, who you choose to connect with, who you choose to talk with. It's all connected. And so Mark chapter 5, verse 38 to 42, this is a story about Jesus. And Jesus was um, on his way to the house of Jairus. And Jairus's daughter had just died. She's a 12-year-old girl. And he was actually, they, they warned Jesus, they came to Jesus and they said, Jairus's daughter is really ill. Jesus, can you please come and pray for her? And Jesus said, I'm on my way. But as he was on his way, of course, he got thronged by the multitudes. That's where the woman with the issue of blood reached, reached out and touched the hem of his cloak and was healed. And he turned around and he ministered to her. And so all of these things are happening in the meantime. And then um, one of the servants from Jairus's house comes to him and says, Jairus is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. And do you know what Jesus says? He says, take heart, believe. And then he walks to, um, he makes his way to Jairus' house and that's where we come to in Mark chapter 5, verse 38. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and he saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, why make this commotion and weep? They must have been thinking, are you crazy? There's a 12-year-old girl who's just died. And then he says, the child is not dead but sleeping. And uh, verse 40, and they ridiculed him. We read it now and we think, oh, poor Jesus, how could they ridicule, ridicule him? But if you're in that very moment with that family where the child has just died, a 12-year-old girl, and Jesus comes in and he says, what's going on? Why are you all crying? She's just sleeping. <laughs> in that moment, you'd be like, what on earth are you talking about? 
that is so disrespectful to the family. But Jesus knew the end from the beginning. And so it then says, but when he had put them all outside, all the ridiculers, when he had put them all outside, he took the father of the child, Jairus, and the mother of the child, and those who were with him. So it actually says earlier in the um, chapter there that he took um, three with him, Peter, James, and John. And he said, so he took those who were with him and the father and the mother of the child and entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumai, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. There's a couple of things in this scripture that I want to point out. The first thing is that Jesus shut out the ridiculers. He shut out the negative ones. He shut out those that didn't have the faith that he needed in that moment. And then it says he took those who were with him. You know what? Sometimes in our lives, we've got to shut out those who are not with us. And we've got to walk in with those who are with us. We've got to take those who are with us. If you want to see the walking out, if you want to see the miracle. And so Jesus put out those who were the, the negative ones, the ones that were saying, you know, what are you talking about? This girl is dead. And then he came and he came with Peter, John and Paul and the mother and the father. And he ministered to the child. And so maybe it's time to do some unfriending in your life. Do you have people in your life who are still complaining about the same problems year after year after year, always blaming others for where they are in life, never taking ownership for themselves? Those that think the world is always out to get them, pessimistic, cynical. Maybe it's time to do some unfriending. And I'm not saying that in a harsh way. I'm saying that in a way of God calls us, of course, to love and to care for all. But those who you choose to walk with in life, those who you choose to bring into that inner circle, you've got to have those that Rick Warren says are VIPs, very inspiring people, because it's those that are going to boost you when you need them. They're going to come. They're going to be able to, um, to encourage you in your walk with God. When you come to a place of sometimes doubting what God has put in you, doubting the call that God has on you, you need those around about you that are going to encourage you and push you forward and spur you on. Not those that are going to pull you down and say, well, that's just the way life always is. And this is where we're just going to be. You just got to put up with it. And, you know, so, okay, sarah, sarah, whatever will be, will be. No, I absolutely don't agree with that. No way. God has called me for better than that. And you need the ones around about you that are going to encourage you in that. Do you spend the most of your time with people who will challenge you to rise higher or to settle for the status quo? Are you spending time with them? After spending time with them, do you feel inspired? Do you feel motivated or do you feel depressed and drained? Do they encourage you in your walk with the Lord? Or is the conversation just all surface level and self-absorbed? Do they believe what you believe? Do they value what you value? Let me bring up that quote again. Our future is shaped less by our ambitions and what we'll do for God and more by the company that we choose to keep in the present. What kind of future are you shaping? So some of you might be thinking, Pastor Sarah, are you saying that I can't have any non-Christian friends? No. <laughs> we saw Jesus always had time for non-believers. He broke bread with them. He made time for them. He sat with them. He talked with them. 
However, those who he chose to let closest to them, those he trusted, were those who believed and valued the same things he did. Right? Here's a good way of looking at it. There are three spheres of relationships in our lives. There is intimacy, which is the inner sphere. There's intimacy, sorry, intimacy, which is the inner, inner sphere. Influence, which is the second sphere. And care, which is the third sphere. This is a good way of looking at your friendships in life. And so with that innermost circle, intimacy, that's a small group of friends. That's usually like three to five, including your husband or wife if you're married. And so that inner group, it's a small group where the most influence takes place. You influence them most and they influence you most. These are the people that shape your life, where you also shape theirs. This group must have the same values and beliefs as you because of the weight of their influence. That's why single men and women of God, we say, be equally yoked with your partner. Don't go around dating or falling in love with those who are non-Christians, hoping, just hoping and praying that God will save them. It happens, but in a very small percentage of cases. Why not believe God for someone who you can walk with in Christ, who can encourage you, who can spur you on, that you're on the same page, that when you have children, they're going to teach the same thing to your children as you're teaching. Choose carefully who you have in the intimacy sphere. The second circle is the influence circle. This circle includes a large number of friend, a larger number of friends, and that number is kind of different depending on your personality. You know, for me it might be eight, for Brad it might be fifteen. <laughs> it just depends, and so it's usually around, I'd say, ten to fifteen. And these friendships, they influence you, and you have influence over their lives, but not as profoundly or deeply as that intimacy sphere. And so, most of your friends in this sphere, they should also be Christians. Um, however, there's also, this is also where you can wisely bring those in that you're wanting to influence for God. You can bring those people in. And I say wisely because if you're a new Christian, and this is you know, what Brad did at one point of his new Christian life, he's like, well, I'm so fired up for God. I'm just going to go into the nightclubs. I'm going to tell everyone about God, and they're all going to get saved. But who knows? You end up slipping into their influence, into their, especially as a new Christian, because you're not solidified in your identity in Christ. And so be wise, you know, bring those into this, into this sphere when you feel like you have the solidification in your identity in Christ that you're going to be an influence on them. They're not going to be an influence on you. And so that's our influence sphere. The third and outmost circle is called the care, the care circle. This is where you have the largest number of friends or acquaintances that you would see less regularly, but you still have a genuine love and a care for. Within this sphere, there is a lower level of shaping influence. And within this sphere, you should have both non-Christian and Christian friends in this bigger sphere. Um, so it's a lower level of shaping influence, but there's still some shaping influence there, especially um, opportunities for you to shape and to influence. So where I see a lot of Christians get unstuck and water down their... Um, water down their Christianity, or even worse, walk away from the Lord, is not where they have too many non-Christian friends, but it's the people that they choose when they have the wrong type of people 
in that intimacy circle, when they have too many of um, non-Christian friends in that intimacy circle. That's where I see people get unstuck. It's not that you can't have non-Christian friends. I'm, I urge you to have. It's, so, it's important to have um, non-Christian friends and to be doing life with them and to be caring and to, and to love on them. But what's important is who do you have in the core? Who is influencing you? Who's speaking to you? Who's speaking into your life? Who do you go to for advice? Be careful. No, Jesus loved and cared for Zacchaeus, the shady tax collector, but he never let him into his inner core, did he? He was in the care circle. Jesus had the 12 disciples, and this is where we see it at work in Jesus' life. So he had the 12 disciples, but then he had the three. He had Peter, James, and John. And he would only take those certain three into certain situations. So we see Jesus takes Peter, James, and John into Jairus' house to raise the girl from the dead. He takes them to the transfiguration where he shows his glory on the mountain and he takes him into the garden of Gethsemane to pray with him before he's arrested and crucified. And so he had the three that were always with him in those most crucial times in his life. So how can we rediscover the art of friendship? Do you want to know? Sure. This is not rocket science, <coughs> but something that we need to be reminded of sometimes. So the first one is be friendly. <laughs> if we just be friendly, it really frustrates me when people come to me and they say, nobody ever talks to me at church. I don't have any close connections or friendships. Well, of course you don't because you sit there like this most of the service and then when the service finishes, you make a beeline for the door and you're out of there. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. You're not going to catch fish by holding a bucket on the shore and just hoping for fish to jump into your bucket. <laughs> if you want to catch a fish, you need to throw a line into the water. Be friendly. If you want to make connections and friendships, step outside of your comfort zone. Go out and say hi to someone. Invite them out for coffee. You know, make an effort. And I know sometimes for some people that's not as easy as others, but let me just encourage you. I am not one of those people that just goes up to random strangers and is easily able to make conversation. But, however, I know that it's important for me to step outside of my comfort zone if I'm going to make connections at all. And that's what's so important, is that we just make an effort. Be friendly. Stick at it. You know, sometimes it's, it's not easy, you know, in forming friendships, close friendships. It doesn't just happen in the click of a finger. Sometimes you have to meet a couple of times and you kind of have to get over the awkwardness of that first initial getting to know each other before you start to kind of talk about more deeper things and, and make connections in that way. So stick at it. If you're na- oh, I love what um, Rick Warren says. Oh, sorry, let me just say first from Proverbs 18.24. A man that has friends must show himself to be friendly. (laughs) Thank you. Yes, a man must himself that has friends must show himself to be friendly. So Rick Warren says that you will attract what you are, not what you want. So if you want inspiring friends that are fun and energetic and enthusiastic, but you're negative and critical and depressed, guess what? you're going to attract negative and critical and depressed people (laughs) because you don't attract what you want, you attract what you are. And so if you want inspirational people who are 
on fire for God, who are energetic, guess what? Build that within first (laughs) and then be that as you start to connect with others. Number two is get involved. Get involved. If you want to make connections in a community, in a church, simply get involved because it's very hard to make deep connections with someone on a Sunday morning for 20 minutes after the service. And so when you become part of a team, you become part of a smaller community within a community and you're able to make connections with each other and you're able to kind of get into deeper conversation and you have something in common. You know, for me, one of my closest friends, that friendship I was talking about in my 20s, that was, that was formed because I, I served on the worship team and I met um, this girl on the worship team and it was a beautiful friendship and uh, we were able to, it's like, um, like attracts like and our spirits, it's like that kindred spirit. And so, but I would never have been able to have that opportunity to get that deep with her in, in that um, time period unless I'd become part of that team. And so get involved. Number three, be willing to invest the time and the energy it takes to build friendships. Philippians 2 verse 4, do not be interested only in your life, but be interested in the lives of others. That's what being a good friend is. It's not just talk, 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 talk about me, me, my life, what I'm doing, and you know, blah, 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 blah. And then the other person goes away thinking, gosh, I know a lot about them, but they didn't ask me one thing about me. <laughs> being a good friend is being interested in others, asking them, what are you, you know, what's God talking to you about at the moment? And, you know, what do you do? And, you know, what does your week look like? And, you know, how, <coughs> what are you interested in? It's about being interested in other people, not just talking all about you and trying to get them interested in you, but you be interested in them first. Understand, close friendships take time. Rome wasn't built in a day, and bosom buddies are not going to pop up overnight. (laughs) I wish that it was the truth, but it's not. Make the effort and show up even when you don't want to. This is a big one. Friends show up, yeah? Even when they don't want to. Even when they've had a massive day, they come home, they know they're supposed to have dinner with you at 7 o'clock, it would be really easy just to send a text message saying, oh, I'm not feeling really well, you know, can we postpone to another time? But no, friends show up. Friends have make the effort to be there, even if they're <clears throat> tired, even if they've had a big day, because you know, once you, once you get into that place of friendship, you know once you leave that person's company that you're going to feel better for it anyway because we were made for connection. We were made for community. We were made to be able to, um, to talk to each other and to air sometimes some of the things that are bothering us. And now in wisdom here, you know, we don't, we don't advocate gossiping and talking about, you know, um, people behind their backs, but sometimes you need to get negative emotion out and ask for help this is what I'm struggling with. Can you please pray with me? Number four, be loyal and trustworthy. This is a big one. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 6, the Bible has a lot to say about this. Many will say there are loyal friends, but who can find one who is truly reliable? James 5, verse 12, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Proverbs 17, 17, a true friend is always loyal. A true friend is always loyal. Do you know back in the day, a handshake was worth just as much as someone's signature on paper. But I'm afraid, speaking generally, that loyalty is found wanting in our culture today. Much, I think, because of the desire within us to chase after the next thing. 
There's always something new. There's always something more exciting. And we see it. We're bombarded by it day after day. And so I feel that because of that desire within us to get the new thing, to chase after something fresh, that we don't stick at things. We're not truly loyal. As the Bible says, many say they're loyal friends, but who can find one who is truly reliable? It's not easy. Loyalty is not selfish. It's not self-seeking. It's stable and it's steady and thinks of the good of others and looks at the big picture, not the now picture. Loyalty looks at the big picture, not the now picture. You know, I was in my first job uh, working at Big W when I was 14. I was at that job until I finished high school when I was 18, so it was four years. My second job, I was uh, working at a place called Cashflow Finance, and I was there until pretty much when I finished school. I started working there until Brad and I got married, and then a year after that, so that was probably about five or six years. And then my third job, because Brad was like, okay, well, what do you want to do? Do you want to work at Cashflow Finance for the rest of your life? I'm like, well, it's a great place to work, and, you know, the people are really lovely, and I've learned a lot. I was like, okay, well, there's, is there anything else in there? <laughs> and, well, I said, well, yeah, I really love... I love um, the beauty industry and, you know, makeup. And um, so he, he um, motivated me to, to step out while I was working and to do a course in makeup artistry. And I'm glad he did because I, I did that for, I was with the same business again for five or six years until I got married, until I got pregnant with Zara. And so <coughs> to me, the, and I know that it's not the same for everyone, but for me, the time that I spent with each of those places was so shaping for me. The fact that I didn't kind of just up and leave when, you know, there was tough times. There was times in those, um, in each of those places where I felt undervalued or I felt like I was wasting my time or, you know, I just felt like I wanted something new and fresh, but I stuck at it. And because I did, I saw the outworking of it within my life. And so I learned so much over that time of really being steady and being stable. And that's what loyalty is. It doesn't look at the now. I just, I want this now. But it looks at the big picture. How is this going to help me in my walk? 1 Corinthians 13 verse 7. If you love someone, you'll be loyal to them no matter what the cost. You'll always believe in them, always expect the best and always stand your ground in defending them. Part of being trustworthy is not betraying the other person's confidence. This is part of being trustworthy and loyal. This is a big one, not betraying someone's confidence. You know, I've had a good friend that I opened up to repeat what I'd said in confidence to another person and that was just crushing for me when I found out um, it was crushing for me. It was a massive hurdle in our relationship. Um, we eventually got over it, but for a long time, I felt like I couldn't trust. I felt like I was really guarded in what I said, and then that limited the depth that the relationship could go to. Good friendships, close friendships have to have trust. And so we have to sometimes bridle our mouth, bridle our lips, and make sure if someone tells you something in confidence that you... Um, that you keep that as a secret and, you know, that you're able to walk them through that but not to just blab it out to everyone and then for that person to feel so hurt. Um, the truth is there's nothing that sabotages a friendship quicker than betrayed confidence. It's almost impossible to come back from. 
because there really is no deep friendship without it. Proverbs 11 verse 13 says, No one who gossips can be trusted, but you can put your confidence in someone who's trustworthy. Proverbs 20:19, Whoever spreads gossip betrays confidences, so don't get involved with someone who talks too much. And number five is be open. This is our last one. Be able to take off the mask and show vulnerability. You know, there's a lot around at the moment about vulnerability, being vulnerable. And I think because, I think in the workplace, in relationships, we kind of got to a place where it's like, what's behind that? <laughs> what's behind the facade? What's behind the mask? I want to see what's really, what's really going on. I want to feel the emotion. And so you won't get anywhere trying to build a friendship without scratching through that surface level. You know, if you want to just build surface level friends, they're called acquaintances. That you see every now and then, you say, hi, how are you? Good to see you. How are you going? But you don't get into any deeper level conversations than that. That's where it stops. And so here's a secret. None of us are perfect. None of us. Not one of us are perfect. We're all dealing with weaknesses, with struggles in our life. And so it's okay. It's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to... Um, to be working through stuff. We may impress people with our strength, Craig Groeschel says, but we connect with people through our weaknesses. Because when you're going through something and someone else is going through the same thing, it's like, oh, I'm not alone. And so be be also wise with this. Obviously, you're not going to just be super vulnerable with people that you don't know or with people that you don't trust but it's with those inner core, you know, that you trust, that you're able to be vulnerable with them, you're able to open up. Do you want to be admired or known when talking about vulnerability? Do you want to be admired or do you want to be truly known? Because a lot of people are happy to be admired. Admiration comes with lots of perks. Likes, it feels good, it has social benefits, There may be status and even financial gains to be had. But in the midst of a personal crisis, I'll guarantee you, you're not going to go to those admirers. True? In the midst of a personal crisis, they won't be the ones that you'll be turning to. Jesus had admirers. You know that? They loved the miracles. They loved the Jesus show. They chanted and cheered for him. But in the same breath, they chanted and cheered, crucify him. Admirers are fickle. Don't get caught up in the whole social media image of being admired. Be known. It's better to be known by a handful than admired by the masses. When you're truly known by your close friends, they're the ones that walk with you through the trials of life. They're the ones that will be with you when you need them the most. Let me ask you a question. Of all of your friends on social media, how many can you say are true close friends who know what's going on in your private world, who walk with you, who pray with you, those that you trust and open up to? So finally, to cultivate genuine and rewarding friendships, we can learn best and glean from the very best friendship that's available to us. And that's friendship with our Saviour. John chapter 15 verse 13 says, Greater love has no one than this to lay down his life. Who? For his friends. 
Come on, that's what our Jesus did for us. He laid down his lives because he saw us as friends. There is no greater friendship than the one that you have with Jesus. Before you were born into this earth, he knew you. He knew what you'd look like, the unique makeup of your personality, the wonderful things that you'll have, um, that you'll experience through life and that you'll accomplish. Jesus knew every sin that you would ever lay down at the foot of the cross before he bore them all on it for you. The compassion he has for you in the silent struggles and strongholds that you face in this life is impenetrable. John 15 verse 14, you are my friends. You are my friends. Come on, this is Jesus talking to you. You are his friend. The Bible says, John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. You know how they show always, and you may have experienced this as well, you know, when you get picked for a sports team and you're waiting on the sideline and, you know, there's 20 of you and then there's 10 of you and there's five of you and then all of a sudden it's just you (laughs) and you're the last to be chosen. God chooses you first. God wants you on his team first. He says, I chose you. You're my friend. Come be with me. How amazing. Come on, just ponder on that for a minute. I know for me personally, if I take my eyes off Jesus, I become a much worse friend. (laughs) Because then it's all just about me and, you know, being able to um, keep my resources and my time to myself to cope. But when I'm in a right relationship with Christ, I've already received everything that I need to cope. And he reminds me that I was created to love. I was created to reach out to make friendships, to connect on a deeper level. So maybe it's time to reconnect with that good friend that you've drifted apart from. Maybe it's time to mend a broken relationship. Maybe it's time to have a bit more courage and step out and make some new friendships. But life is too precious. Do it today. Life is too precious to walk through alone, to not have those people to share it with. And to finish, I want to read the words of Winnie the Pooh. (laughs) A day without a friend is like a pot without a single drop of honey left inside. Aw, thanks, Winnie.